Welcome to the debut episode of Third Fridays. This is a legal podcast born from the Defend from Day One series. My name is Christian Cisan, and we are coming to you from the glamorous Studio 66, current home of Lois LLC. Third Fridays is a term of art in New York defense. Third Friday of every month is the only non-holiday in which no hearings or trials take place in the entire state. So we cordially invite you into our professional living room for a chat while you eat your lunch or during your commute. Today, my esteemed guest is none other than Declan Gorley. Declan, how does it feel to take part in what is now, officially, the longest-running podcast in firm history? Meaning three minutes in length? Uh, that's technically correct. I'm very privileged to be on your show, Christian. That's all I needed. I think we could cut off the podcast right there. Declan just said he was privileged to participate in something that I started, but we'll move forward. Declan and I went to law school together, and through the miracle of what kids today call Facebook, we reconnected. And three years later, we both work for the absolute best compensation defense firm in New York. Thanks for being here, Declan. Today, I want to talk about opioids. Can you give everybody a brief rundown of what opioids are before we jump into the more high-level discussion? Sure. Uh, Opioids are prescription medications that, for the most part in the world we are in, workers' comp, are prescribed for pain. Um, Of course, in New York, we've now got the non-acute medical treatment guidelines, uh, but we see opioids on a very regular basis in New York, and it's become a a serious problem. Perfect. And, and just as you mentioned, opioids are a hot topic in workers' compensation. Now, for d- the defense side, why do you think they are a problem for our clients? Well, I, I think they're a problem uh, society-wide. I mean, if you look at any newspaper nowadays or any kind of documentary on TV, it's definitely the hot topic. Um, and workers' comp is obviously hitting this fr- uh, head-on. For our clients, it's a major issue because we have claimants that are on these uh, opioid medications, oftentimes not just one, but multiple medications, and uh, obviously it affects their ability to function, uh, affects their ability to go back to work, and at the end of the day, it's a very costly, uh, it's very costly medical treatment for people that are on them, and oftentimes we see whenever we want to try to settle a case, we'll, we'll get a Medicare set aside, and because someone's on one or two opioid medications, it could drive the price of the MSA to six-figure numbers and, and make it almost to the point where we cannot settle a case simply because they're on one or two opioid medications. And I think you hit on, on something important there, too. We have uh, a temporary cost and a future permanent cost, right? So that temporary cost is the underlying uh, expense for uh, paying for these opioid medications. And the longer that they're on them, we have MSAs that project future costs and we're being hit on both sides. So uh, I totally agree with you there. Uh, and what's so interesting about this topic is that it actually reflects the trending opinion on opioids outside of this little compensation bubble. Uh, the current president's administration, and by current, I have to say this is being recorded in December 2016, requested funding this year from Congress to fight the opioid epidemic. And in response, Congress actually earmarked $181 million to fight this problem, confirming that it indeed is a problem. Now, Declan, bear with me here because I I do love numbers. According to an article this past Sunday in the Washington Post, 
The CDC revealed that over 52,000 Americans died from drug overdoses in 2015, and 80% of that number was due to misuse of opioids. To go even further, the prescription opioid category accounted for 17,536 deaths last year. Some serious stuff, Declan. Yeah, as you know, we, we saw an article that Yusuf Hussein had sent around an associate in our office last week, a press release from the U.S. Attorney's Office in which uh, Dr. Labrakis uh, was being federally charged for illegal distribution of oxycodone. Uh, Dr. Labrakis is a workers' compensation doctor. Uh, I know that this past summer there was a doctor up in Albany who was, uh, and the workers' comp, all his patients were hit pretty seriously because this judge, our doctor, was locked up and criminally charged for uh, basically distributing narcotics or and people were going in. I mean, there were thousands of people getting scripts for serious doses of medication. So uh, this is a, a serious, not just a, a matter of health, but criminal issues at, at stake here. That's a good point, because we have a topic here that's you know not just beneficial uh, for everyone's use here, but because uh, you talk about a doctor in Albany who's getting hit hard uh, by uh, an outside party, and the real effect is to the claimants or his patients. And if they're having their prescriptions modified, reduced, or stopped completely in in in, in any kind of serious manner, it's something that doesn't affect the def- uh, doesn't help the defense either. So uh, that's a that's a good point. Uh, but to go back to comp, uh, what is the Workers' Compensation Board of the State of New York, New York doing in response to this problem? So at the end of October, uh, the New York Workers' Compensation Board issued a board bulletin basically putting into effect an expedited hearing process for addressing uh, opioid medication and weaning issues. So um, in cases where employers or carriers have, have been paying for medication for a person uh, on opioids for a long period of time, if they get an IME that says that the person should no longer be on these medications or they should be weaned off them over a period of time, if we file an RFA-2, with the IME report attached or peer review attached, basically specifying the process for weaning them off these medications, uh, our adversary, the claimant's attorney, then has to respond to that by requesting the deposition of our doctor. Uh, and within 45 days of our office filing the RFA, uh, the plan is for the board to schedule a hearing, basically put this on the expedited hearing calendar, and then the judge is supposed to issue a decision, uh, basically either uh, dr- approving th- the weaning process or basically saying that the, the claimants to maintain uh, the current medication use that they're on. And I love this new change from the board. You know, we, we litigate issues relating to the medical treatment guidelines all the time. And for most instances, most scenarios, it, it's a headache for, for most practitioners, especially those that don't work with you and me, right? So we're not talking about a claimant being in excess of physical therapy visits authorized by the guidelines in which then they have to request a variance, right? We're talking about something that's fairly recent and most people haven't been up to date on. So what I like about this is it gives everybody an opportunity to catch up on recent case law, the recent guidelines themselves, and then form a basis for uh, creating clarity. And that's really the main goal here because clarity helps everybody. If the board has outlined a specific hearing purpose, then it may be more likely that all parties can contribute to the closing of a claim. And I think that along those same lines that if we are requesting hearings and 
similar to how there's special parts for certain things and hearing points, I believe that at some point, if they're not already planning on doing this, there will be a special part set up for judges just to review because I think that this is going to basically overload the system for the next year, uh, getting IMEs to comment on opioid usage, um, having a lot of hearings to address this issue, and judges that are dealing with this on a daily basis are going to become much more familiar with the guidelines uh, and know the law and know what the guidelines actually say and, and hold doctors to those the criteria of the guidelines. That's an excellent point, right? Because we can go in there, we can fight our battles and know what the guidelines are from A to Z, but if nobody else is up to date on them, you know, it, it presents a little bit of a logistical and practical problem. So if you have a special part that's outlined for just opioids and the non-acute guidelines, all it takes is one judge to know what he or she is doing and administer the uh, guidelines properly. That forces everybody who's kind of slow on the issue to, to really get up to date, and that is good, again, for everybody. Okay, so hopefully by now, uh, we're about nine minutes in, we haven't put you to sleep to the point where you're claiming a work-related accident and you're needing opioids to numb the pain. So if you're still with us, I thank you. Let's transition to uh, a new segment, and it's called Guess the Outcome. We'll take a look at a recent decision by the board or the appellate division, and Declan today will get five facts and try to predict the outcome of the case. Today, we have a board panel decision issued this past Monday, December 12th. Okay, Declan, fact one. The claimant appeared for a physical IME in which the doctor suggested weaning of opioids. Fact two. The claimant's counsel requested a hearing to litigate the immediate stoppage of opioids. Fact three. In setting the case for trial, the judge articulated three questions that he believed were dispositive. A, whether the claimant was addicted or dependent on opioids. B, whether the claimant would benefit from treatment. And C, if so, what the appropriate treatment options are. Now, I, I didn't see you take any notes there. Are, are we good to go? To, to, can we move on? We can go on. All right, I trust you. All right, fact four after medical testimony, the judge credited the claimant's doctor for recommending reduced opioid usage. Fact five, the defense appealed because, well, sometimes you just need to appeal. Declan, you have your five facts. Guess the outcome. How do you think the board panel ruled on this issue? You're telling me that the, the treating doctor requested a weaning and the carrier appealed? What was the carrier's basis that? that the medication should have been suspended completely? That's correct. Okay. Um, given the fact that it's not often, I would say, that you see a treating doctor lowering dosages, uh, I think more often than not it's an argument of the IME saying this should be reduced or this should be suspended, and the treating doctor saying, no, we this person needs to maintain. They need to keep taking these dosages to, just to stay at their current function level, and this is why they're able to do anything, uh, any activities of daily living. So... I think more often than not, it's an argument of suspending that we have and their doctor basically saying, don't suspend, keep, keep it as is. So I think uh, in this situation, given the fact that his own doctor is saying to reduce, um, I think typically you're going to find a, a credibility assessment. And nine times out of ten, maybe not that high, but oftentimes the judge is going to rule in favor of the treating doctor and, and find that I would anticipate in this case not knowing the outcome. 
that the judge uh, ruled in favor of the treating doctor and, and indicated that they should be reduced, not suspended. And, and that's correct here. Uh, I think what was interesting about this case is, like you said, the claimant's doctor was the one who recommended the weaning. And whenever that is uh, suggested, that's good for the defense too, right? Because we can monitor a weaning program just as well and reduce our costs significantly. The problem what I saw in this case was that the def defense may have, or the adjuster may have immediately stopped the opioids based on the IME without a hearing. And what you can do in that kind of case is if you feel that the opioids are in excess of the guidelines, hey, file a CA.1B and say that the treater uh, has not requested a variance to administer this treatment. Then you don't have to pay for that medication. But stopping the uh, medication completely without that kind of pr uh, procedural step gives the judge reason to deny uh, the defense's request very easily, I think, because it's not a correct application of the guidelines. I think you have some serious issues there when someone's been taking medication. Oftentimes, someone's been on one or two or three opiates for a, a long period of time, talking years, just to cut them off cold turkey would be, I think you're opening yourself up to a, major, a possible can of worms there with other issues. So as much as possible, I would make sure that you're doing the following the correct legal procedure. Right. And, and I mean, taking it even a step further, right? Even if they're not taking the opioids for three years, they're taking it for one year, maybe, you know, nine months. Let's follow the procedure anyway and make sure that we're getting it correctly so that we're not paying for it in the future. So good job on that one. Uh, the, the question here is, would this new RFA2 option have changed the outcome? Would it have changed the decision by the, the law judge or the board panel? Or maybe would it have changed the actions of the parties leading up to adjudication? Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, just to be clear, did they do depositions of the doctors in advance of the hearing? They did. Okay. They did. The only thing that's, that I think may have this may have changed um, would have been possibly made this uh, go, the process go faster. So the IME would have been attached, and they would have requested the, the carrier or the self-insured would request a hearing. And within 45 days, there would have been a hearing scheduled. Um, knowing what I know about the system prior to this new expedited hearing process, this is something that I think the carrier may have requested a hearing, and then six months later, we may be filing two or three RFAs to get it on for a hearing. So in that regard, I think that's the main issue. I don't know if it would change the decision, uh, to be honest with you. If the depositions were done, the issues would have, the, presumably the record would remain the same. I, I agree with you there, actually, and, and uh, I don't like being on record saying that I agree with a decision that benefits uh, the claimant. But in this case, you know, we're talking about a weaning versus suspension when there was no weaning prior to that decision. Try the weaning program first and then see if you can uh, go further than that. Don't suspend immediately. That's not good for everybody. And, and that's, again, reflective of the whole nationwide problem. We can't just take them off of even if they're addicted or dependent. It's got to be a process, do it the right way. And for everybody out there, this case is called Matter of All Seasons Services, Inc. For those of you who, like me, nerd out on updated case law. Okay, that does it for episode one of Third Fridays, your new favorite legal podcast. 
Next month, I will discuss the intricacies of litigating claims with coverage defenses. And if you have a specific question, please feel free to connect with me through any platform. Submitting a question makes you eligible for a free iPad mini. Declan, you can't do that. You're not allowed. Now, uh, do I get one just for showing up today? We'll talk about that later, okay? Now, I'm looking at my producer who's rolling her eyes at me, but I promise this offer is legitimate, okay? Submit a question, you're eligible, and if we use it on air, you'll really get a free iPad mini. Thanks, everybody, and thanks, Declan. I am Christian Cisan, reminding you to defend from day one.